everybody. Welcome to the Faith and Fandom Podcast, which is now part of the Love Thy Nerd Network. You can always check out new interviews there first, long before you see them anywhere else. And you can find more at lovethynerd.com slash faith and fandom. Uh, today, I am joined by the astounding, the internationally known, uh, award-winning <laughs> LJ Bowens of uh, Poetry in Motion LLC and a million other things. Um, LJ, tell us who you are, dude. So, um, my name is well. First off, thank you for that introduction. I greatly appreciate it. <laughs> it's, it's it's sometimes, like, I, if I if I my DJ stuff wasn't packed up, I'd have you an air horn and like do 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 all the whole thing. <laughs> so, um, my name is Lewan Bowens. Everybody knows me as LJ Bowens. I am a spoken word artist, poet, author, event coordinator, host, creative writing workshop facilitator father husband uh, a person that's always just trying to make sure i'm just being positive when i'm around people and being positive for myself and i'm very happy to be here on this wonderful podcast with a good friend of mine so i'm, I'm just happy to be here so uh out the gate what is poetry in motion and like like tell the people what what that is what that entails what that covers yeah, definitely. So the talk about poetry in motion, I get, should give a backstory. So back in, I want to say 2009, me and a friend of mine by the name of Yolanda A. Barnes, who is an artist that goes by the name Yogi with two eyes. Always love had, that name. I know, it's dope. <laughs> so we started up a open mic event actually entitled Poetry in Motion, where we used to do a lot of work with um, opera, like open mic artist and we also used to do like theme nights and everything of that nature it was a one of the biggest events here in Fayetteville and it was like short-lived to be completely honest because of the venue we were at and years later when with everything that goes on building on my brand and building on myself and my artistry I wanted to come up with a dope name and the poetry emotion name just kind of stuck because it was one of those things that we love so much and I didn't want to let die out and of course talking to my sister because we both came up with it. I wanted to make sure I got permission to make sure everything was cool. She was like, run with it because that's something we shouldn't let die out. So Poetry Emotion LLC became just that. It's a brand where we deal with spoken word artistry. We do performance workshops, writing workshops, poetry workshops, but we also do a lot more now because of everything that's happened over the years. So aside from that, with it being Poetry Emotion, we also do event curate, curating and event planning because a lot of people always ask us how do you put together a good open mic not only just for entertainment purposes but for community purposes like what's kind of blueprint can we do for these so we do that and then of course with hosting is just hosting events whether it be poetry whether it be festivals whether it be comic cons like we just recently done and going from there and that's kind of like how the brand was built based on those particular things that I've done over the years and things I love because it's it's just all of it encompasses me and always be in emotion because poetry literally doesn't have to always be words and at all the time it can literally be just how we see ourselves in life because it's a story that constantly keeps going with so many changes and so many variations. Nice. Now I know I know you cover a lot of ground and you you host all the different things you do all the different things ask you a question if this is like too personal don't don't answer it but you know like how functional of this is this as far as a living like <laughs> that is a very good question i've been asked this question numerous times before because i be it's it's kind of hard to explain because i think everybody has some type of process so functional as a living i can if i mean if i'm being completely honest it's one of the reasons why aside from a military VA loan. <laughs> um, I it's one of the things that helped me buy my house. I mean, it, it's easily profitable if you know what you're doing. I always say that with this type of work, it's a lot of it's a lot of grinding. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. It doesn't just happen overnight. It takes a lot of building as far as branding and everything of that nature to get to the particular pockets where it's easy to make it uh, as a thing that you can live by and make it a living because it's. It's one of those things where if I was to be completely honest with you, there was one point where I was working a job. I was working a full-time job and I used to work at CarMax as a car salesman and I was still doing my artistry, but my artistry wasn't somewhat the full-time thing the CarMax job was. 
And then all of a sudden, because of my artistry, they fired me because of my artistry, because I did an event and I love a few people noticed. So and it's, it's easy to talk about now, but at the time it wasn't. But I literally was doing an event at Duke University for military veterans, put in my time to be off. And then the next day I came back, I got called in the office. They said I was a no-show when I wasn't a no-show. And I had the proof to show that I wasn't a no-show. And LGM at the time just fired me. And I literally had to live off my art for a whole year before getting hired for another part-time job. And back then it was hard because it was, how do I put so much work into something now? Now, granted, I was happy. And I was like, yeah, I can live my artistry. But I didn't realize how much of a grind it was because at this time I was only just doing poetry events, just performing poetry, not doing everything I'm doing now. But within that year of that struggle, it literally helped me learn a lot more as to how how to diversify everything I do and use everything I do in order to make a living off of it. So now um, it's, it's good to do because of the work put in the the um, the pay is a lot more too because of all the years of putting in the work is more of a price to dictate and it's it's very functional but i also will tell you that it's, you have to have a lot of patience planting the seeds and planting the time because you also have a family you have to worry about i'm a married i'm a married 42 year old now the good thing is i have two grown kids <laughs> so it doesn't affect as much but i know it was a strain at one point to try to be functional with the business and to be functional as a family man. But in time, it became a good balance and it it worked out for me a lot. Now, that's just my recipe for how it works, but everybody's is different. What would you tell someone that wanted to actually make poetry a living? Like if you want to, if you wanted to take your artistry in that capacity, like what are some, like, I know, I know everybody's process is weird and different and unique. Um, what would be some basics you would tell somebody like, here's a few things you could do. The first thing I would tell poets to do or anybody that wants to get into poetry and make it a living, the first thing, and it's going to be different now, but I will always tell folks to always go to an open mic, like your local open mics, or even what we used to call dummy trips. As long as you got the money, you could go somewhere within a 250 mile radius where open mics are happening with poetry or even music and poetry. Try to go to those events just to get your name out there and let everyone hear your work. And this is what we were doing back in the, like maybe 2009 up. But I know now it's a little bit different because now with TikTok and YouTube and everything of that nature, a lot of people are now using social media to get the stuff, their work out there. So even that helps a lot more with the new generation of people that are using more, it's easily accessible to get to. So I would say use your social medias, but definitely go to open mics. But then the good that comes from that is the better you get with your work. Then of course, there are always people in the audience, whether it be social media audience or these open mic audiences that might like your work and want you to perform for events and curate events. Now, some events you may have to do for free. There's no way around that. You have to do some events for free to get your name out there. But once you start building up your artistic resume, which that's another thing to go into, but it's a lot longer process to even talk about. But once you start building up your artistic resume, it also helps you know your worth because if you haven't performed before it's kind of hard to kind of dictate a price when you don't have the resume to go with it me and another artist actually talked about this he's a painter and he was saying that all artists regardless of the field and this is just my personal opinion but he was saying that all artists of any field should always charge the industry standard no ifs ands or buts about it and we kind of had like a debate because I was saying I, I couldn't pay $350 to have a person that performed for this for the first time to be a feature as compared to somebody that may charge $350. But they've done A, B, C, D, E, have an electronic press kit, have a artistic resume. I will go with that person before I go with this person because I haven't seen no work to perform. So the first thing is always going out and make yourself visible, social media or open mics. And then once you start getting the practice and when people start asking for your for you to do work and be um, be paid for it, start off with a, ba a, bo a bottom line first um, and then build up from there the more work you get because uh, prices go up. Let's be honest. If it's inflation and um, yesterday's price, ain't today's price, especially with um, the work we put in for what we do. Hope hmm. that helps. No, it helps. That's good. Um, 
you also compete a lot. Like you put together teams like the, you know, to go travel and to do poetry and competition form. Tell me about the competition circuit and what that looks like. Oh, the competition circus is the circuit is brutal. <laughs> I'm be completely honest with you, but it's a, it's a blessing too because it actually motivates writers to write with more intent at times. So, with the poetry slam circuit, if anybody is not familiar with poetry slam, so with poetry slam, it was invented by a construction worker by the name of Mark Smith back in the 1980s in Chicago, and he kind of came up with this bar game format for poets where. It would be judged by five random poets um, on a three-minute time frame with a 10-second grace period. Score would be 0.0 to 10.0. The lowest and highest score gets eliminated. And then you only total up the middle three. So with that particular circuit, it's been a blessing because so many poets have came out and learned from it. It also brings egos, unfortunately. So that's what somewhat makes it more brutal than the competition does because you deal with a lot of folks that are prima donnas and have a big hype in their own head because of slams they may have won in certain states or just because their YouTube video has a million hits and stuff like that. But competition-wise, it's always good because iron sharp is iron. And with the team we got, which is the Detour Slam team, we've been around since 2019. And this past one, the past Southern Fried Poetry Festival, which is the biggest poetry festival in the country, the past one we just did this year, we end up for the first time actually being ranked within the top four of the country, which has never happened for any Fayetteville team in existence of Poetry Slam going to this big festival. So that was a big thing because if if it were not to happen again, I mean, by all means, you always want it to happen again. But if not to happen again, I get it. But no one can ever take away that Fayetteville, North Carolina in the year 2023 was ranked fourth in the nation Um and I'm so thankful for that and thankful for the poets that we had that made that team. In your poetry, like you've got several things published and, you know, your whole arsenal of stuff. Like what, what what work of yours is available out there in like print format or where people can read your poetry? Easy. Um. So print format, I have I have a few books. So I, I guess I want to talk about all of them. But the first one, I'll talk about the first one. And by all means, people can buy it. I have a love and disdain for this book. So my first well, it's you know me. It's like my I don't even carry my first book at cons. I'm like, nah, we don't want we don't need that. Yeah. But I always like to talk about my first book because it's it's a learning, it's a learning curve. And the reason that's why I always bring it up. So there's a book I the first book I had come out was called So Many Things to Say. And it was just me putting out poetry, getting it out there. I had money from when I was in my last deployment before I got out the military. And a lot of people was like, Hey, you should publish your book. So I published a book. But the horror, the horror story to that is that I went through a publishing company called Author House and self-publishing. But what ended up happening was there was no author print price. And that means that for any book you get, you have to pay full price for that retail. Book. Ooh. You have to pay retail to get a certain number of books in. Now, now granted, um, with them also not being print by the man, I had to spend $899 at the time to get all this stuff done. Um, they gave me a website for a year. They gave me an ISBN number, but they only gave me 15 author copies just to have, and that was it. And the other part to that was the royalties because the royalties for a book that I was charging $10 for, the only royalties I will see, and I remember it to this day, was $2.10 for royalties from when a book is bought online. So I learned a lot from that, and it took me a it took me a long time to actually publish another book. When I published that book in 2007. I didn't publish another book until 2016. And that was my chat book, Anywhere But Here. So Anywhere But Here was the book I had come out in 2016. And Tell I started... people what a chat book is. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. So a poetry chat book is basically like a small collection of poems that kind of makes up a chapter. So that's where the whole term chat book came from. It's like chapter book. So it was 10 poems that got put together. And it was during that time of everything that was going on in the world, dealing with racism, dealing with social issues, dealing with gender identification, stuff of that nature that made any person want to be anywhere but here. So I came out with that book and we did a little mini tour with that book when it came out. The mini tour was phenomenal. And it kind of got me back in the bug of wanting to write books again, as to just doing poems, performing it, going to these events. And when people are asking, hey, do you got a book? 
as compared to when I was doing what's known as a spoken word album. It was like, you know what? Maybe it's getting back to folks want to read as to listen to everything, which is is one of the same depending on the people. But for the market, it actually changed back to people wanting books more than CDs. So it got me that bug going to write again. So after that, I came out with a book called Blurred Lines, which is basically Blurred standing for Black Nerd. It's just a little acronym. And it helped me use everything I love with pop culture to talk about real life issues. So like Eeyore's Dilemma was a poem that came from there. And it literally just talked about depression and how Eeyore deals with depression. And we always wonder how we deal with certain things, but hearing it from like cartoon characters and what they deal with these situations, it was fun. So that book was that book, which then went to 310, which that's a book based off of poems are written around life hacks that are easily acceptable and easy to do. And just basing poems off of that from 310 became another chat book, which was called Blackout. And Blackout was more so of a failed, <laughs> a failed project that I sent to Duke University for this document documentary grant that I didn't get awarded for. But I still said, you know what, let's publish the book, see what happens, because it's a chat book. And I didn't want the, the work to just get thrown away or put to the side and didn't realize that when putting this book together, it's a chat book that can be read forwards and backwards. I did not realize that until like people told me that after buying the book. And I was like, huh. <laughs> so that was interesting to find out. And the last full-fledged poetry book I had come out was this year called Before. And with Before, it started off as a 30-30 project. Uh, well, 30-30 years, so National Poetry Month. It's basically you write a poem for each day of the month. And I always try to do a challenge for myself. So every poem started with the word before and then it would be like something else after it. And that ended up turning into a, a full-ledged project with some more poems added. And I didn't realize that that book was somewhat semi-autobiographical because a lot of those poems, when I, after reading them, I was like, wow, these are just poems I'm really talking about myself. And for me, it was healing because I rarely get the chance to I really get the chance to vent. I really get the chance to open up about myself. And it took a long time to do that. So with that book, it kind of was the a more of a way of me getting stuff off my chest, talking about stuff that happened in my past and embracing what is now. And that was the last book that came out. So a lot of those books that I just mentioned are available on Amazon.com. And they're also available easier if you go to my website, which is poetryinmotionnc.com. That's poetry, the letter N, motion, NC.com. I know that was a long roundabout way of explaining all that, but. <laughs> now, do you have your stuff in audio format anywhere? I don't. And I really want to do that. I'm just trying to figure out the time to the time. That's basically it, the time to sit down, go through each book, put it in an audio format and just put it out there because I really want to do it. It's just I got to sit down and say, OK. I got this amount of time to go ahead and do all of this work. Cause with me, I don't want to be a person that says I'll start now, come back to it, start like a month later, come back to it um, and leave and come back. Like with audio format is something I would want to get done in like maybe three days, but that's just how my mind works. Just saying. I, I feel you. But it's like, I mean, cause I mean, like we said, we're different animals and how we do stuff. Like just for like, even if it was like, Let's say, how many poems do you think you got collectively? Like, put it everything together. Oh, um, this is just the ones that's published, right? Published ones. Okay, um, just the published ones. I'm going to go on a rough guesstimate and say published. Because I didn't mention none of the, any chat books and other projects I was part of. I'm going to say probably around... I would say probably close to 225. That's a lot, bro. It is. It's a <laughs> and like I said, we haven't even talked about that and stuff. I don't have published yet. Right. But, but yeah, about I'm gonna say about 225. Man, because like just throwing at you, man, man, you might even want to consider if instead of like trying to do it in a lump, if you sit down and do it in a podcast format of you drop, let's say three poems a day, like as individuals because now one of the great things about podcast channels is like say for instance when this goes up on my podcast channel mm -hmm. i'm gonna load it one time 
one time. When I load it that one time, it's going to go to Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and will all be listed as an individual track. That is dope. So believe it or not, I don't know if your folks want to see this. I was writing this down. <laughs> to make it I was like, that is actually a good idea. I put a star by it and everything. So because I mean, because think about it, like literally, if you drop the if you drop your poems as individual tracks, that means your name is going to pop up on Spotify 225 different times where people can actually you can that can make part of your deal is like make sure you uh pre-save this poem that's going to drop or make sure you favorite the LJ Bowen's channel on Spotify. I'm just saying. Like look, I get ideas, man. Trust me. Man, I'll I'll set up a little studio. You can set up and record. We'll we'll knock it out. Um <laughs> uh, No, you know it'd be even better. Hold up. Let's yes, you know that you need my brainstorming for everything. What would be dope dope is if you set it up as an event where you record it live for people to actually come hear the recording, be part of the process. That way you get the crowd feedback off your stuff. I didn't even say you got to memorize it all. I'm just saying you could just read your poems a night with LJ Bowen's recording party, whatever. You know, it's funny. So 2013, I, I did a spoken word album that was done live. It was a big, big apple. It was a big apple. And I called it uh, a life in the day of LJ. And it was just like random poems I did. And uh, my friend that was a DJ at the time by the name of um, Chris Wright, he, he set up the room in a way where the room was recording all the sounds of the audience, but also recording me. And I did a live album that way. And I wanted to do something like that again. And I, it is hard. It, I don't say it's hard to do. I've been very picky because I've done, it was a one man show and I've done two other one man shows since then, but I've made them, I made them so private because I'm like, if you want the experience, it's a private thing. I'm not going to really like do a live video or anything like that, but I need to do something like that again. So, so you got there. I'm glad, I'm glad we're doing this. You give me all these <laughs> ideas and stuff. I appreciate it. I'm just, I just want you to succeed, bro. Um, yeah, likewise. <laughs> So ask you this. I know I asked about monetary and stuff like financial and everything, but what do you get out of doing all this? Let me be honest with you. I used to, I used to get, and this is funny because it goes to the story that I always tell. So for me, I used to get the, I used to get the joy of knowing, I used to get the joy of knowing that the work is being heard and appreciated. What I used to get from it. Then at one point, I used to get from it the glitz, the glamour, everybody saying your name and loving you and all that stuff. And then it took an intervention to have like for me to re- for me to be reminded of the true reason why I do this stuff. So for me, what I get out of it is the fact of knowing that this work is not only my story, but it's other folks' story because I'm not the only one that's went through what I go through. I know I'm not. and But the fact is, it's purpose behind the words and the purpose knowing that knows that it can save a life or it can help many. So for me, what I get out of it is just being happy that there's purpose in this work, knowing that this work is it's it's gratifying, yeah, it can be entertainment, but it's also education as well. And it also helps edify people and it helps bring a light to certain topics, certain things. And just a poem could be a thing that affects someone's life and change for the better. So I think for me, it's more so what I get out of it is just the purpose of knowing that this work is good work. And I will always put that over anything because even when we talk about monetary, it's good to get the monetary from it. But let's be for me, I'm going to be honest. I just like the purpose of knowing that this work is changing people in a positive way. And that's what I love about doing what I do. And that's what I love about arts in general, because art is meant for you to feel things. And you always want it to be more in a positive than you want to be in a negative, because even with art, you're going to get that. You're going to get the positive reaction. You're going to get the negative reactions. But as long as the positive always outweighs the negative, then that's what makes me happy. And as long as the people are happy, 
with knowing that there's other folks out here like them, I'm good. That's all that matters. And your poetry is your like your big thing that you know you have a lot of the most acclaim for. But like around here, especially like with what we were just at, you know, a few days ago is like Nerd Slam is where people know you from in certain bubbles. Um, like uh, you and I've been working with Nerd Slam for a hot minute. Um, <laughs> I don't. I think old longer than where my kids has been living. Um, <laughs> maybe not, but close. Um, but like, so talk, let's talk about Nerd Slam, how that got started, uh, what you do with that, where you want to see it go. So let, tell me about Nerd Slam. So Nerd Slam, it actually originally started in, it started in the poetry world. So in nationals, this is before I got to it. And then finally, and then when I finally seen it, it was an idea that came together from a few poets where they was like, you know what? We should have all these people that say they're nerdy, that's poets do this competition where we'll judge them based on their nerd knowledge or their topic. We'll have them go against each other. And then whoever wins that, that, that bracket or that particular debate would get a chance to do a poem. And then I was like, the idea is dope, but I wish there would have been like an actual champion champion. But then the other thing that I didn't like about it is the fact that they started nerd shaming folks. And what I mean by nerd shaming folks, it was basically, trying to call them out, saying they weren't really nerds. And um, that, that the people that they used to have as panels who were, I guess, fan favorites or the poetry community were were jerks. And I never liked that. And when I just, what I decided to do was I wanted to do my own spin on it. Still still be a nerd slam, but it's LJ's nerd slam. This is how LJ does the nerd slam. And we took that idea and, and did it in a way where we had a champion and we did it at a poetry festival first. We did it at poetry festival first, but then I wanted to try to do it at a Comic-Con event. And I did it. I want to say I did it at library con first where I met you. And I'm, I'm always trying to have, I always have a hard time remembering because it was either at a library con that we did here in Fayetteville or is when I came across, no, it was library con. So yeah, yeah it was I think it was library con. Yeah. And with library con, I did it at library con and just seeing so many people enjoy it. And then we took out the poetry aspect. That And that's what really was the thing that sealed the deal for seeing if it would work at a con. Because there were people that was asking, what were there supposed to be poetry involved? And I was like, at poetry festivals, yes. But at Comic-Cons, we're not doing that. And I think it made it easier for it to be accessible to everybody. So everybody's for- not just got, keeping that thing on them. They don't just got poetry yeah, on them. Yeah, nobody's not keeping no poem on them, no, like ready for the, ready in the tuck, ready to go. So, um, and then from there, right. it just, yeah, and then it just it just blew up. It just blew up. It started getting bigger. And the good thing about it, it's evolved. It's evolved from the first time I did it up until now. And there is like, it's always changing. It. We literally, before I slowed down doing it, we were almost doing whether it be me or Hector um, doing it, me, Hector, my friend Cartier that passed away a few years back and his wife, or just myself, at one point we were doing almost 13 a year. Like, and that's a lot because it wasn't much like in one city. It was like over numerous states and different cons. And I had doubted it back just a little bit because I was getting, I was just, it was just hard trying to get to every con trying to do it. And it also gave me time to like try to hone it a little bit better too. So where Nerd Slam is at now, it's in a beautiful space. We just started, we did our trial run this week for a, basically a scary, scary edition doing, dealing with horror movies of certain franchises. And already everybody was like, yeah, we want that back. And the, the consensus was that it is easier to do the regular Nerd Slam than it is to do the horror. Oh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> but everybody... But everybody loved that fact because they say now it makes them want to research all the horror movies they love now even more, which I'm glad that it, it worked out that way. So, yeah. So where I want to see it go from here, I will definitely love Before you go for future, let me just pause. Uh, Nerd Slam, uh, for anybody like you just you don't know what we're talking about, is at a Comic-Con poetry anywhere where currently how LJ is running it is people will sign up in their field of knowledge 
to say, I know more about The Office or I know more about Dragon Ball Z or whatever else than you know about what you know about. And people compete in trivia questions on the spot to be able to say who the winner is that capacity. So just clarify. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to add more to it. It's like basically March Madness for nerds. So like you were saying, like it could be someone representing the office going against somebody that's representing Harry Potter. So like that bracket would be the office versus Harry Potter, but we will only ask some questions on that particular topic. Now, if both of them tie, I get to ask any random nerd question. Everybody should know. And that, that's which is all, which is currently nineties cartoon heavily focused. Yeah. But it's about to change after this one. I promise you it's about to be, <laughs> Woo! I had some questions. I did. I forgot to bring, but it's, it's a lot more. I think I like another 150, tiebreaker questions over everything so it works out nice but but for where i want to see it go next i'm gonna be honest with you one the one place i do want to see it be done at and it can only be one time and i will be completely happy with it is if we get it to san diego comic-con and just see what happens from there just to do it there in front of that audience and see what happens once we once we go out there and who knows you know we may eventually you know, get a call and say, hey, Hector, guess what? We got a um, three-year contract to go do this um, particular thing on Cartoon Network now. They want to make a live game show out of it. You know, who knows? It, anything can happen. But but for Nerdslam itself, I would love I would love to see it done at San Diego Comic-Con. But other than that, you know, I, I love doing it. I, I've got some other stuff in the works for it that I can't really announce on here just yet. But um. It's, it's a bright future for Nerd Slam coming, so just be on the lookout for it. How is that like a uh, has the Nerd Slam presence helped further the poetry presence at all, or has that really just kind of stayed separate? It's it's you know what, be honest with you, it has it has when you go to the poetry conferences because now when we go to the poetry conferences, every poet is looking for that. So like when we first started Nerd Slam at the particular conference that we do go to before it because it's the biggest it's only po- big poetry conference we got and now people are trying to get us to some of the smaller poetry conferences going on across the country it it started off as an event that was everybody wanted to see the first time so it was a lot of people the first one came because when it comes to this particular poetry competition the biggest side event for a poetry competition is 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 two one I'm not going to say on here but the other is known as a haiku slam because there's a lot of poets that love hearing haikus and the way people write the haikus are dope. And Nerd Slam was kind of like bottom tier because everybody wants to see what it's going to be. But I would argue to say that Nerd Slam is probably like one of the biggest events in a poetry conference now based on what we've done with it because we've made it fun. We make it fun. There's a crown winner. And then one thing we have that a lot of them didn't have, we have a DJ. So and that always helps set the tone and the backdrop for everything that we do. Um, what's been your favorite uh, experience or memory from Nerd Slams? That's a good question. It's it's two. It's twofold. So one's going to deal with a poetry competition, and one's going to deal with actually one of the Fayetteville Comic Cons we did from the at, no, actually three. I'm sorry about that. It's going to be three. One was the fact that we asked a tiebreaker question that dealt with Tiny Toon Adventures. And the question was, what was the school that everybody went to? And I started going through the process of saying, uh, what was it called? It was like, oh, you ain't got to say anything. It's Acme University. And I was like, well, do you want me to go through the do you want me to go through the questions? First? He's like, no, no, it's Acme University. They sing it through the day. Everybody got hyped. And then I was like, unfortunately, you're wrong. And then everybody was like, how is he wrong? And then I said, it's Acme Luniversity. And then everybody was like, oh, but then the guy couldn't say that. But like, you know what? You're right. It is that. I got too hyped. And then he just walked off the stage. But he did it in good stride. So that was a lasting memory. The, the other one was when I did it for the National Poetry Slam, which is no longer in existence. And this was the first Nerd Slam. And I think... This is the first Nerd Slam up until recently was the only one that got sponsored by like a big company. So my friend said his wife asked if she can help out with the Nerd Slam and uh, for this particular Nerd Slam. And I was like, yeah, it's not a problem. He's like, can she cosplay? I said, yeah, she wants to cosplay, she can cosplay. So she 
she calculated as a black Harley Quinn. It was dope. I should have pictures somewhere. But what I didn't know was all the prizes that we had, there were like these three big bags. And on the bags, I was looking at it, I was like, oh, this is dope. Thank you so much for donating. And then I was like, I got a question. She's like, yeah, shoot. She was like, I was like, where did you get the Cartoon Network bags from? Because if you tell me the story, I like to get one because it was just like a bag. She was like, that's where I work. Cartoon Network sponsored these prizes. So we had our nerd slam sponsored by Cartoon Network. And I didn't find out until the day of the event. Because you would have been put, that would have been on every promotion, oh, yeah. <laughs> everything. Yeah, I would have been promoting that at everything. So that was, that was dope. And for the last one, Fayetteville Comic Con, it was, it was last year. It was last year. And it's this group of kids, and you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, that's been coming to the Nerd Slam every year, try their best to win, whether it been Dragon Ball Z or, or Teen Wolf. And one year, I can't remember which one of them won, but it was emotional because it was also... It was also the same year or just a year removed from when um, our friend Cartier passed. And they took it emotional because they like literally they dedicated that win to him because they was like, if not for him and like stuff we done, they would have never been doing it. And it was like it was good for them to win, but it would have been even better if he was like physically there to see it. So um, those were the like three lasting moments, like the, one of the top three moments of Nerdslam I've always will take with me, like my three best. I just like, I don't know about the favorites, but I think one of the ones that always stands out that Godzilla kid from Raleigh. Yes. That dude, like, uh, one of the final questions that was down, it was either the last question he had to ask or real close to it. I asked him how many Godzilla movies there were, period. And that kid literally, he was 14, didn't realize it at the time. 14 year old leaned his head down and named every Godzilla movie by name and release year in order chronologically and then just gave the answer and i was like i don't know anything that well like yeah yeah you were laughing and and i was like i thought you was laughing because of what he was doing but you was like no he's correct (laughs) like and that's amazing like you you can't you can't you can't be authenticity like that you can't and a lot of these kids don't get chances to just be impressive with their knowledge about stuff and because i'm it's just like especially if you deal with kids that are on the spectrum or have autistic capabilities Mm -hmm. like that's not usually a place you get to shine but like (laughs) this kind of opens up for like being hyper focused on something actually pays off um and then i was like yesterday like when the last time we did one um like you know aaron always comes up for like Dragon Ball Z or something, all those facts. And the fact mm-hmm. that they got together as a group prior to to quiz each other and practice the questions they know I usually ask, which, you know, I've got him next time. Like, I've already made a list of stuff to ask him to, you know, oh, yeah. if he goes again. Um, <laughs> like, uh, so the con world, you know, we get to interact there together and uh what would you like to see be different about Comic-Con culture? So, all right. This is a, this is a very, this is a very, very, very great question you asked because of something that happened recently at Archon. I think, so it's twofold. So there are moments where I get when cons, and I'm not saying our particular con, I'm talking about cons in general for right now, where a lot of things are going on that people do not like or they don't understand it. And it seems like it's a lot of confusion. And I do get that. I get that a lot. Um, the one thing I would love to see more of, and I know it's, you know, it's a process, is that for the attendees that come to these cons, to please by all means treat staff with respect and try not to let you their ego get in the way because the one thing I notice with any particular type of specific conference is that when it become when you come to a conference, whether it be poetry, whether it be a con, it is that moment for you to become a superstar for those few days. I get that. I honestly do. However, you still have to treat people with respect. And if someone's asking you just a general question 
attitude should not come into play. If a staff, if you ask a staff member a particular question, they say, let me get you an answer. And then you start going off on that staff member that's trying to help you. That becomes a problem. It, it's just, I know it's a lot that goes on in the con, but I also just want people just to remember too, like there's people that's working hard. They have nothing probably doing with the person that you're angry at um, that's trying to help you out. There's no reason to just like catch an attitude. I just want people to be good people with these cons. I really do. And that's, that's the, that's the culture you always want to try to put at a con. Like how they say cosplay is not consent. I'm totally behind that. Cosplay is not consent. You want, but you also want people to give respect when respect is due too. And you just want people to be good people because at the end of the day, we say we love this community and let's make sure we honor that. And let's make sure we're doing the right things in order to make the commu this community that we want to be a loving community. Let's do what we can to make it that. And that's one thing too, especially when you're dealing with con staff. How many times do we see stat that just in our experiences, you've seen staff that are people that just aren't prepared. Mm -hmm. um, they're they're given their best, but they haven't been prepared. They haven't. They're not fully trained. They're probably volunteering, and they're just being called staff. And you know they aren't. <laughs> they're they're not the butt of your frustrations. Like. You can't take out your full inconvenience on somebody that's out here just because they love doing this. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So because there's been events, there's been events that where I'll be, I'll be doing something and a person or people will come to me to ask me a question and then I'll try to guide them to the right person to talk to. And then they'll tell me that said person told them to come see me. <laughs> I'll start, I'll start laughing on the spot. I'm like, wow, that's, um, interesting for me not knowing this topic but they sent you to me and you're the person supposed to know so it's always funny when that happens but we always make it work because i try to i personally try um to make sure i know a little bit of everything to at least guide everybody mm -hmm. so that's just me but i definitely get what you're saying because there, there are people that kind of get they kind of get thrown into the fire not knowing how hot it's going to be because especially like you barely get like a, a volunteer huddle they throw you a t-shirt and you're like, eat. <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden you've got an angry 53 year old person dressed like a one piece character yelling at you. Cause you don't know where to get a badge at. And it's exactly. just like, I agree. I, I agree. You said you had two things. What was the, Oh, the, um, I guess the other thing would be, I guess what cons, uh, Okay, know your space. Any con, know your space. What I mean by know your space is if you know, if you know you got this many amount of people coming, like make it make it as accessible as possible. If you know it's going to be over that particular amount of people, just tell people, hey, we sold out. There's only people we can do in a day. Because, and, I, and, I, and I'll go ahead and bring it up, and I know they're probably working on it now. GalaxyCon, I went to, and I love GalaxyCon because we do panels there. But I think this year was the first year was the first year I felt overwhelmed, not at our panel, but just walking around. I've never felt that overwhelmed before in my life being around people because performance wise or anything, you're used to being around a lot of people. But that time, that time, that weekend was it was too much. It was like a lot, like so much so that I heard they did panels in like ho other hotels because they had that many people attending the con this year, and it was, it it was a lot. Like two was, separate hotels. Yeah, like, it was down the street. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I would, I would leave our panel. So we did our nurse lamp panel there, and our nurse lamp panel very heavily attended both days. But walking out of there, corridors fine. Walking around. Go down the steps. I, let's say I want to go by. Uh, let's say I want to look at some of the, the guests. As soon as I get down that escalator, it's like people shoulder to shoulder and trying to find ways to get out, trying to get around these long lines of people. I, I, it was so much. And I mean, we, if they got to take a little bit of a hit. I mean, fine. I'd rather them take a hit than have so many people there that it becomes unsafe. Whether somebody something happens to somebody, you can't get the people the medical attention they need because so many people are around there. I would rather. I rather I would rather be easily more more easily managed like any con would be manageable than becoming unsafe and aspects of that nature. 
Solid. Like I said, I know these are like reaches, but you know, no, that's... no, it, like that's the thing. You, you, and I spend a good amount of time at cons, and we at different shows and different events. So it's, you know, it's a different perspective on stuff with it. And I, you know, I haven't like since uh, Artist Sally was moved out of Galaxy Con this year. I didn't even see the show floor once. Oh yeah, like, it was. I stayed in my safe little bubble. It's like y'all can walk around where you want to. What's crazy is uh, there were people that were showing up in Art Artist Alley that didn't know there was a show floor. They thought Artist Alley was it. Then yeah, and then even with but then even with how Artist Alley was done this year for you guys, it was in a room that was tight. Like it was a lot of people trying to maneuver in that small space they put you guys in. Like it's a bigger space. But when you put vendors in there with their stuff and you try to maneuver around it and you have a lot of people try to see what folks got, it 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 became tight in there too. So it's just it's just one of those things, you know. Probably manageable, just better management. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's succeeding too hard is a problem, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh ask you this and I'm just kind of wrap up with this. Uh you and I have like done stuff together forever, and I think this this past july was the first time you and your wife actually got to come to geek church um like and actually just be there because we're always all over the place how was that experience for you just i loved it i i honestly i honestly was i i've always wanted to try to prepare myself for what geek church would be but to go in there <laughs> i know it's a concept yeah like the concept like I, I appreciate the concept. I, I, I know your work and I love your work. So I was like, okay, I know it's going to be something, but we'll see what he's going to do. And I kind of got to prepare myself for it just in a listening aspect. Cause you know, reading your books is one thing, but listening and seeing you actually do a full sermon, whole another thing. And to see what you did with that, that particular concept, cause I don't want to give it away. Cause you might do it another time, but, <laughs> um, but to, to see that particular concept, to see so many people receiving the word, even at the end when the guy raised his hand and just because of what you did and how you touched that particular person just said, can I come give you a hug? Like yeah. that, that, was, <laughs> that was beautiful. And, and I will go out on them to say like, when it come to cons, when it come to cons, cons market themselves as being a place where everyone is accepted. Like with the limitations of, you know, people that's being hateful, but, it's everything is accepted. And I would say that that particular panel should be at, at a lot more cons. And I really, and I stand on that because you never know what I'm going through. And then people use, people use everything in pop culture as a reference to help them with a lot of stuff. Anyway, that's why so many people resonate with certain things. Like for me, the writing behind my hero academia like at some point in any of those stories i lived that like the fact of one of the episodes or one of the chapters of the manga where um all my all my lost his best friend but it took it took his best friend's death to really like speak back to him like stuff like that i i've been through that and and like i understand that and it's like people use the con sometimes to just be around people who understand and they just feel like they want to be around people that receive them. So when you do something like Geek Church that takes the the concept of what happens with pop culture and you mix that with the stories of the Bible and use those as life lessons, you're literally just talking about stuff that we already know and it needs to be done. Like, I, I love that concept and it needs to be done more in con. So yes, how I felt about Geek Church, I love it. I would love to see more of it. Word. So uh, let's say uh, for timing's sake what do you got going on november through the end of the year so i actually streamed down my event calendar so um the only thing i have going on for the rest of the year would be um the biggest thing i got going on in the year well by the end of the year it is november it's going to be november 10th through the 12th i'll be in durham north carolina taking part in the inaugural grio and gray owl black writers conference where i'll be doing a panel with a few other writers on building community in a poetic space and also showcasing there. And then there's a book fair that I also have a couple of copies of any of my books there as well in Durham. And I believe that's going to be at the Durham public library. Word. And then, you know, by January, you'll be able to get LJ's whole Spotify channel 
downloaded and ready. <laughs> Be ready. Ready by then. Be ready by then. Um, so if people want to check out your stuff online or check out your socials or anything like that, where should they go to find you? Oh, easy. So you can follow me everywhere at is, is everything. So Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm going to say everywhere because I don't do Snapchat. Uh, so Twitter, Instagram, the little bit of TikTok I'm on and Facebook, everything across the board is LJ Poetry. That's E-E-L-J-A Poetry. And if you want to see interviews, content or buy merch or anything of that nature, you can go to www.poetryinmotion. That's poetry, the letter N, motion, N-C, dot com and the last little bit of information i can give you guys i wish i could give you the solid channel but this month um a documentary that i took part in called talking black in america performance traditions will be airing nationwide this month if i find a channel once they announce the channel i will send it to hector and he can share with you guys so that's what's up so you're just waiting to find out like where it's released yeah, that's it. The date the date is October 21st. I just don't know what channel yet is going to be released on. So that's awesome, man. Technically it's sometime this week. So oh, we'll find out hopefully this week. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll make sure we get that information in there too. That's awesome, man. Well, LJ, yeah. thank you for taking your time to join me. I know you got a busy day. <laughs> you got a lot going on. Um, and you know, uh just you know, I want to say thank you, uh, because I know that through your open mics through the competitions, through Nerd Slam, you've helped a lot of people find their voice and to use their voice as well. Um, I've loved poetry since middle school, but I hadn't performed a poem like out loud in front of people in like two decades. And like, you know, so like getting to do stuff like that and seeing other people like look forward to those opportunities to break out. Which, by the way, how did the um the hip hop night go for the hip- Art, art meets life it was amazing there was so many quotables done <laughs> it was awesome now, now were they doing poems or just the hip-hop lyrics oh they did they did their own original poem and then they would pick just a, a random hip-hop lyric just to recite uh from any song that nice. they wanted i man i i was like i want to be there in this parenting but <laughs> but that's cool um so everybody, uh, you're going to be able to check out LJ's stuff there. Um, you're going to be able to watch this in video and audio on uh, Love Thy Nerd. And remember, you can also check out lots of other podcasts on the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. Um, there's a lot of great stuff from comic books to board games to uh, just life in general. So you can check that out over there. But you can always find episodes at lovethynerd.com slash faith and fandom. LJ, thank you for joining us, man. Greatly appreciate it, bro. Appreciate you guys too. Take care. Take care, guys. Love y'all.